0: Excellent. I mentioned to the group this morning that not only is this a fabulous facility, but I believe that you have one of the top three Christian bathrooms in the nation, which is very, very important indeed. And uh, I would also like to nominate uh, my friend down here and um, the other chap with you for possibly being um, the best and the maddest presenters of church news, church news. We need more madness in the church. We do, don't we? And uh, it's just brilliant. So, so well done. Well, I want to talk this evening. The title I've given this message is Better Together When Faithful People Fall Out. I'm going to share two readings with you from the book of Acts. The book of Acts can be difficult, ladies and gentlemen, because we, we read it and we think this happened on Tuesday, that happened on Thursday, then the following week uh, this happened. So let me give you a little bit of context. We're going to look at Acts chapter 9. If you've got a Bible, how many Bibles are in evidence tonight? Just show me if you've got a... Of course, it's on your phone and your iPad, because you are uber cool, are you not? So, Acts chapter 9, uh, one or two of you actually with Bibles. And one or two of you stealing Bibles from each other so you could hold them up, which is probably not Christian. But Acts... Chapter nine. Now, what we're about to read happened about between seven to nine years after the Day of Pentecost. Um, so you've got the Day of Pentecost at uh, the beginning of Acts. Seven to nine years uh, later, three years before this, Saul, who had been the persecutor of the church, had been uh, converted. But he waited three years before going to Jerusalem, which is not surprising, because he had scented his persecution. On Jerusalem, and so very seriously is probably waiting a while before taking the risk to go and meet the Christian community there and here 's what we read in Acts chapter nine and verse twenty six When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. but Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul, on his journey had seen the Lord, and that the Lord had spoken to him, and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. Okay, so take a snapshot of that moment. Shortly after this, Saul goes back to his home city of Tarsus, and he disappears for a decade. For ten years, there's no church planted In Tarsus, we don't exactly know what happened. For 10 years, we don't hear any more of him. And then, about 12 years after Acts 9, you get Acts 15. And uh, Paul and Barnabas have been uh, serving together in in, uh, Antioch, where the Gentiles are flooding into the church. And they've done their first missionary journey together. And then this happened. Acts 15 verse 36, sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them, but Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company, Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord. It happened um, quite some time ago. Um, our Our kids, uh, Kelly and Richard, were still living at home. We were living in Chichester in Sussex at the time. Our daughter Kelly had just passed her driving test, and I had helped to teach her to drive, which is a parental mistake. May I, may I just make that clear? Um, there probably should be something in Proverbs telling parents not to teach their kids to drive. Ride us not in thine daughter's chariot. Proverbs 18 verse 21. Some of you are writing that down. I just made that up then. And uh, she passed the driving test and now Kelly and Richard are driving around town um, and suddenly our phone rang. It's Richard and Richard said, Dad, can you come and help us? We've got a problem. I said, what is the problem? He said, we've nudged another car. Nudged another car. Interesting communication, I believe. I said, what happened? He said, well, we were driving down this road. He said, this bloke pulled out in front of us. We had the right of way. We plowed into him. No one's hurt. Our car's a bit of a wreck. His is not scratched. Can you come and help us out? Praise the Lord, son, I said. I would be thrilled to assist you in this moment of calamity. Thanks for believing that. So I drove across town and uh, I pulled up to where this little accident had happened. Our daughter is crying. She's still in shock. Um, and Richard is standing there, and I I look across at this man, and it's obvious you could see how he'd pulled out. I look across at this man who had created or been the cause of this accident, and I can't really express to you the deep sense of the love of Jesus that I felt (laughs) towards him. I just thought, bless him. Actually, I I felt really irritated, so I thought i better calm myself down. So I went over, checked on the kids, and then I went up to this chap, and I said, said, hi, I'm, I'm there. I'm their dad. And uh, he said, hello. And I said, what happened here then? He said, well, your daughter drove into me. Well, everything changed in that moment, people. The monster from Alien burst through my chest. I said, what do you mean? What do you mean she drove into you? Look at her car. Look at your car. It's obvious. She, she had, what are you talking about? And he looked at me and he said, he said, I don't like you. He said, I'm going to wait for the police. I'm going to get back in my car and wait for the police. I said, oh, okay. So he got back in the car, slammed the door, and I'm standing there thinking, this is not a very good witness for Jesus. And then I thought, I better check my car to make sure there's not a fish on the back of it. (laughs) Thankfully, the car was fishless, so that was good. So I thought, I better go up and apologize. I would better just go and apologize. So I went and knocked on the window. Felt like a mobile Jehovah's Witness, you know, and... I Knocked on the window, and he wound the window down. This shows you how long ago this was. Young people, there was a time in history when one had to wind the window down. So he wound the window. I said, hello, mate. I said, it's me. I said, the bloke you don't like. He said, hello. I said, I've just come to say I'm sorry. I said, I was a bit out of order there. I was a bit upset about my kids. I said, I'm sorry. Can we start again? And his face broke into a big smile. And he said, I'm sorry too, mate, he said. He said, he said, I'm not normally like this. He said, I'm a minister. <laughs> I said, oh, that's, that's really good. <laughs> well done. Very nice. He said, what do you do? I said, I'm a plumber. You got a sink that needs fixing? I said, well, actually, mate, I said, I'm a, I'm a sort of a... I'm a minister too. He said, really? I said, yeah. He said, what's your name? I said, Steve. (laughs) I said, Jeff. He said, Jeff what? I said, Jeff Lucas. He said, Jeff Lucas? I said, yeah. He said, I was watching you on the God Channel last week. God bless you. Nice to meet you, Jeff. I mean, I thought I he thought we was going to whip out a guitar. We were going to sing Kumbaya at the side of the road. Take a snapshot, ladies and gentlemen. There's him, man of God. There's me, allegedly, man of God. And what you've got is two men of God behaving badly. That's exactly what you've got in this story with Paul and Barnabas. I, Sometimes I hear Christians saying, if we could just get back to the book of Acts, it would all be okay. As if everything was super-duper in the book of Acts. I'm so glad that the Holy Spirit, in inspiring the New Testament, doesn't airbrush the characters and make them pretty. But rather preserved for us, I believe for our help, is this episode of these two godly, passionate men who are really falling out. They get into a terrible fuss. And in a way, it's surprising. These men had known each other for a very long time. Church tradition has it that they both studied under the rabbi Gamaliel before being converted. We don't know whether that is true, but that's what some uh, Jewish uh, commentators say. What we do know is that it was Barnabas who had brokered the way for Paul when his name was Saul, back there in Jerusalem when everybody was was backing against the wall and terrified, thinking that he was a spy. It's Barnabas who had stepped up and vouched for the authenticity of Saul's conversion. Not only that, not only do they have a vintage partnership, but they have a Holy Spirit blessed partnership as well because they share together in the leadership of the church at Antioch for a year, and then the Holy Spirit speaks prophetically and says, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul to the mission that I have called them to. So they've known each other for a long time, and God has blessed this partnership together. And then suddenly, Suddenly, it all goes wrong. They probably spent the winter months working together in Antioch. Spring is coming. The the travel routes are opening up once again. So Paul says to Barnabas, let's go visit the churches we've established. And they want to take, Barnabas wants to take his cousin, John Mark, with them. But John Mark had messed up during the first missionary journey. He'd become afraid in fact, there have been some conflict. The Greek word that is used to describe the breaking up of that little team is that John Mark stood aloof from them. And so Barnabas, typical Barnabas, bless his heart, he's the son of encouragement, he wants to give John Mark a second chance. Paul is single-minded, just get the best team for the job. And he says, forget that, pal. And the result is that this dynamic duo parts, never to be reconnected. Why am I talking to you about this tonight? It's because, it's because you have taken a wonderful missional journey together. You've accomplished and you are accomplishing some great things. The journey continues, the job is not yet done. There are some of you who've been around the C3 journey for many years. There are some of you who who are fairly new to the C3 journey. Here's what I simply want to say as a friend to your church tonight. Stay together. Stay together. Stay together for all that God wants to do in the future. And what does that actually mean? What does that mean? look like because i could just you know wrap this sermon up and we could just turn to each other and look lovingly into each other's eyes in a kind of airplane movie moment and we could exchange a hug hug to the left by the way i wish the church would get that always hug to the left hug to the left because if we don't get that what hands ends up happening is on sundays christians begin their gatherings by headbutting each other which is never really good, it's like deer locking antlers, it doesn't set up the atmosphere well. And also know not only whether you're going to hug, but know whether you're a handshaking church, you're a hugging church, you're a kissing church. I go to some churches, I never know what they do, so I go in for the handshake, they go in for the hug, I go in for the hug, they go in for the kiss, it's awkward. Went to one place, and I went in for the hug, and this lady went in for the kiss. I've got a kiss on the neck. Spring harvest, it used to happen all the time. I got so many kisses on the neck, I came out looking like Dracula's concubine, so many. What's this about? Is this just just about having a lovey-dovey moment on a Sunday night? Bless you. God bless you. Or is there something more here that we can learn? I think there is. First this, if we're going to stay together, we're better together, let's remember what we're part of. Let's remember what we're part of. You see, it seems that in this moment of conflict, these two wonderful godly men who were so committed to the local church, it almost seems that they forget what it is that they're part of. Bill Hybels has famously said that the local church is the hope of the world. Thank you, Steve, for talking about our passion For the local church because I believe these are days in an individualized consumer culture where we need to once again affirm the fact that we need Jesus as individuals but the local church is absolutely vital for our health and for the reaching of the nation you can say yes or amen or something like that you see we are living in an individualized culture it's all about self it's a selfie culture Does anyone remember the good old days when you could walk into a coffee shop and you could say something as simple as, hello, can I have a cup of coffee? No longer. Now you need a PhD in caffeine and a working knowledge of Italian to get your order. When I order my wife's drink in Starbucks, I actually have to pause for breath halfway through it because it is so extended. We are living as part of a selfie culture and the danger is that we individualize everything and we forget the value of the local church community and i want to just stand here before you and affirm what you already know and celebrate it we need each other and we need the local church let's value that a, a survey was taken recently they said um, they said what three things what three sentences do people most love to hear what's the, what's your favorite Three sentences. I mean, a lady came to me when I shared this in one church. She said, I know my favorite sentence that I love to hear, which goes like this. Hello, have you lost weight? The favorite number one sentence is maybe predictably, I love you. The second favorite sentence that people love to hear is, I forgive you. And the third favorite sentence, I'm not making this up in this survey is, Supper's ready. <laughs> Take a snapshot of that. I love you. I forgive you. Supper's ready. That's the church. God saying to us, and we were hearing about it earlier, I love you. I forgive you. Now gather around the table of community because supper is ready. And something happens. It's happened to me today. It happened to me this morning. It's happened again tonight. There is a rebooting of my heart and mind when I get together with you and we declare our faith together. I've got this um, desktop computer at home which is demon-possessed. It is a vile and evil thing. 666 megahertz. And I had a British friend... Uh, Staying in our home in Colorado, and he knows nothing about computers, nothing. He has a computer so old it is driven by four donkeys walking in a circle. He is a luddite when it comes to computers, and I was messing, and my computer kept freezing, and I'm messing around with it, and 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 getting upset, and then he he said uh, he said, can I make a suggestion? Don't you hate that when you you've got a problem? And a man with four donkeys walking in a circle offers a solution. I said, what? He said, why don't you just turn it off and start it up again? I said, "That'd be ridiculous. That's not gonna happen. So he said, all right, I'll go and have a cup of tea. So he left my study and I thought, I know what I'll do. I'll turn it off and start it up again. So I did and behold, It fixed the problem because I rebooted the computer. Here's what happened this morning after extensive travel and a lot of busyness and another plane flight tomorrow, another nine hours on airplanes. I came in here this morning, and as we started to worship and pray our prayers and open the book, my heart and mind was rebooted and realign to the purposes of the kingdom of God. It happens, doesn't it? Let's remember what we're part of. We're part of the church. Secondly, guard your unity. Guard your unity. Kay and I, um, over the years of ministry, we've we've met a few people who have been a bit demon-obsessed. Have you ever met Christians like that? Everything's the devil's fault. Have you ever met people like that? I ran out of petrol this week. The enemy was attacking me. What is the Lord saying? He is saying, fill thine tank, O foolish one. (laughs) Right? We've all met people like that. I've probably told you before, but I went to one church where this worship leader was leading worship, quite a large gentleman, and he was one of those aggressive worship leaders. We've been led in worship today. We've not been harassed. Oh, you hate it when you're harassed by worship leaders? Everyone raise your hands! Oh, some of you were actually doing it, it was an illustration. Uh, everyone clap! Everyone dance! Because we're free here! What? Anyway, this gentleman, um, he was quite aggressive, and he raised his hands and his belt buckle exploded. And his trousers fell down all the way, revealing a voluminous pair of boxer shorts, apparently manufactured by Mr. Walt Disney. And it was really spooky because they're running around over his pants with their hands raised. I mean, it's kind of spooky, dude. How many would part with cash to see that? Come on, just, yeah, I know, yeah. And he, his trousers fell down and people are stuffing Bibles into their mouths to try and stop laughing. And he leaned down, pulled up his trousers and he said with that breathless voice, he said, it's amazing what Satan will do when you're trying to lead worship. Gentlemen, wear braces as an extra precaution. <laughs> and I, I, I hear all of that sort of stuff, and I get a bit fed up with it. But I wonder whether we do a pendulum swing, and we forget that we are involved in spiritual warfare. Because we're all pendulums, you see. We think we're balanced, but we're not. We're all in reaction to something. We were on tour with a, a worship team, actually, in, in the States. And... Kay, my wife here, she is not spooky, or or weird. But she's standing next to me, and we're singing a song, and she nudged me, and she said, look up into the balcony, and I look up into the balcony, which is empty. She said, do you see them? I said, what? She said, there are two figures up there, sneering at us. Can you see them? I said, no. She said, look, they're up there. So I I I closed one eye. I stood on one leg while speaking in tongues. I still couldn't see it. I said, I don't know what you're talking about. She said, we need to stop this meeting. There's a dark presence up there. I said, so I couldn't say, I think you're mad. So I just said, well, let me weigh that up, which is code for, I think you're mad. (laughs) So we didn't do, I didn't do anything. We just carried on, we had a nice meeting. And uh, it was a good time, and the minister of the church, um, afterwards, he said, um, he said, before you leave, I didn't say anything about all of this crazy stuff. And the minister came up to us, and he said, before you leave, could you come and pray with us in our balcony? I said, yeah, do you have some structural issues, a bit of cracking plaster or something that requires some intercession? He said, no. We went up into the balcony, he said, he said he said, when spiritual, spiritually sensitive people come here, they notice a dark presence up here. And Kay gave me a look. one I've seen many times before. <laughs> I said, well, what happened? This is crazy. He said, years ago, the choir met in this balcony to plot the downfall of the minister. They decided to starve him and his family out. And he said, ever since then, there's just been a sense of darkness. Now, theologically, I don't fully get that. But what I do understand from that is that standing together in unity, everybody, is an act of warfare. In Genesis, there's a family and there's a snake in the grass. In Revelation, there's a family and there's a beast to be slain. So our unity, our standing together... It's not just about Christian niceness, but it's about being aware that the enemy would love to get in and dilute our togetherness. Let's realize, let's realize what we're part of. Let's guard our unity. Thirdly, let, let's know that this stuff can happen to us. You see, Paul and Barnabas, they've been together for a long time. I've already said that. And did you know that they'd already navigated some tough stuff. They had navigated the challenge of transition. Barnabas had been a senior leader for 18 years in the church. Barnabas had been recognized as a key leader for four years before Saul Paul was even converted. He was the veteran. But if you study the story of these two... There comes a time in the book of Acts when it switches from Barnabas and Saul, Barnabas and Saul, and it changes to Paul and Barnabas. And they navigated that transition well. So they'd been through change. And that's not always easy for us as Christians. We say we like change, but frankly, we don't always. It can be a problem in a brand new building. We we can start to become a bit territorial. One of those new people is sitting in my chair. The chair that Jesus gave me when we came to this building. And we find change difficult to deal with. They navigated change. They also navigated confrontation. Haven't got time to really unpack it. But you can read about it, not in Acts, but in Galatians chapter 2. Very quickly, let me tell you what happened. Paul was out of town. Barnabas was back in in Antioch. And Peter came to town to visit. And at the same time, some Judaizers, some legalistic Christians, showed up to visit this mainly Gentile church. And they were offended by all the Gentiles being in the church because primarily it was Jewish. They challenged Barnabas, and it's incredible... Barnabas and Peter withdrew from fellowship with the Gentile believers in Antioch. It's stunning, it's so foolish. This man of grace, Peter, who had seen the vision of the unclean animals, remember that? Understanding that the Gentiles were now welcome, they withdraw from fellowship. It's stunning. Paul gets back into town, and in Galatians chapter 2, he gets in their faces and tells them bluntly how wrong they are. Here's my point. They had navigated conflict, confrontation, and change. But now this new challenge came. Two things I want to say before I come to my last point. Number one, don't ever think that it can't happen to you. Because it's easy, you just need to get offended about something and it's easy for Christians to get offended. If you've you've been part of this church for more than six months and nothing's offended you yet, you're probably clinically dead. I've met Christians who were born offended. They got upset with a midwife, don't you slap me darling. Something gets under your skin, they didn't sing my song. It's too hot in here, it's too cold in here. So many things. If you want to get offended about something, join a church. So don't think it can't happen to you and watch out for it. And not only that, keep being kind. Okay, here comes a confession. I learned this about myself. I don't want want to tell you this because I want you to think that I'm better than I am. But I think I'll tell you. I'm... I'm from the same tradition of church as you. I love worship to be up and fun, and I love church to be informal. And what can happen is, if we're not careful, we can be prejudiced against those who express their worship in a different way. So Kay and I, one Christmas, a few Christmases ago, we went to our local Anglican church, and I, I... I think if I was starting all over again, there are certain key things that our Anglican friends have that I think are very beautiful. Liturgy can be so beautiful. When life makes you speechless, liturgy can be helpful. In fact, occasionally I use common worship, very occasionally, which is the Anglican prayer book. And, you know, it's a bit weird because I, I do both bits, you know, the Lord be with you and also with you, you know. It's all right, I do it in different voices, so that works for me. But we went to this church, and the vicar stood up. And the vicar had one of those voices. You know the voice? Hello, friends. Hello. And my charismatic prejudices started to bristle. And then he started talking in this kind of voice. And I thought, why do you talk like this and come down at the end of every sentence? And the service continued, and I thought, you look like a reasonably decent bloke who's got a couple of GCSEs and rather intelligent, but why are you doing this thing where you go down at every cent? And then it came time for the sermon, and I thought, ha, it's going to be a load of liberal rubbish. It was brilliant. Brilliant. Now, I did not go up to him afterwards and say, I've got to tell you, I hated you, but now I love you. (laughs) Don't ever do, have you ever had that happen? Christians come and they say, I've got to confess it. I've despised you for years, but now the Lord has dealt with my heart and I like you. And you say, thank you very much. (laughs) But watch out for those prejudices because here's what happens. Prejudice looks for confirmation and edits out contradiction. And what we see in others that we've made our mind up about, that we don't like, we magnify it. And when their behavior is other than what we expect, we just write it off as a momentary aberration. Be careful of that. Stay together. Realize it can happen to you. Well, I... um, I preach at uh, Timberline Church. We have eight services every weekend. Can you imagine that? And we have a time clock just like you have here. I preach the same message over and over again. I'll do it again, I think, uh, two weekends from now. The same outline, the same points, the same spontaneous humor. And I've got 56 seconds to go. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to invite Dan to come up on the keyboard and the band to come up, because that will give you hope if they come up. By the way, your worship team do a fabulous job, don't they? Go on, just encourage them if you would. (laughs) Brilliant, guys. Thank you. And Dan, just... Is it Dan who's playing? Over there. It's a miracle. Okay. Dan, just play something quietly for us, if you would. And um, I want to just say this in uh, to wrap this up. Don't let injury derail you from your purpose. You see, this story tells us, it tells us that we should remember what we're part of. It tells us to guard our unity take responsibility for it are you an agent of unity do you build people up I mean I'm looking around here I know that you know none of you lovely C3 people none of you gossip I know that you share do you build up the body realize it can happen to you get real unity will need to be guarded But lastly, don't let injury derail you from your purpose. You see, Paul and Barnabas part. But Paul goes on to form a new team. And they go on two more great missionary journeys. It's been bruising, but Paul's not backing off from his mission. What happened to Barnabas? Well, Barnabas went to Cyprus with John Mark and strengthen the churches there. Barnabas sails out of the biblical narrative at this point. We know what happened to Paul because of church tradition. He ends up in Rome, ultimately dies a martyr's death. What happened to Barnabas? We only know that from church tradition and history. There are two sources and they both agree that Barnabas was preaching the gospel in a synagogue. An angry crowd dragged him out. One account says he was tortured horribly and then stoned to death. Executed. Barnabas didn't back off from his mission. Don't back off. Church history tradition says that when news broke of Barnabas' death, a young man came to take his body back to his family home. According to church tradition, that young man was John Mark. The man that Barnabas had stood up for. Who was right, Barnabas or Paul? I don't know, I don't know. That's not the point point is this C3? Stay together. Stay together. Would you stand with me for a moment, please? if I may, uh, I'd love to just share with you in prayer as you continue to navigate your exciting future. But before we do that, I wonder if we could get a bit personal and a bit specific. I wonder if there's an offense that you're carrying. I wonder if there's a bruise that you're carrying because somewhere along in your Christian walk, you've been hurt by other Christians. I wonder if there is a need for the journey of forgiveness to start. Now, I wanna be really careful. I'm gonna take a moment of time for this. I am not one of those preachers who just says, if you've been wounded, forgive now. Because sometimes forgiveness comes as a result of an extended journey rather than an instant decision are you with me in that but we can say to God I'd like to face in a forgiveness direction and so in a moment we're going to just bow our heads we're going to close our eyes and I'm going to invite you to do something really simple to respond, if you're just conscious that you want God's help to let something go, it might be a minor offense, it might be a conflict that's going on, it might be moving in a forgiveness direction, would you close your eyes? If that applies to you and you want to be included in this prayer, there's repair that needs to come to a relationship. that need to be taken and it might be within the church it might have nothing to do with the church can I ask you to do this very simply and there's no second installment to this just want to ask you to do this one thing if that's true for you would you slip up your hand please hold it there for a moment and around the room lots of us are responding probably half of us so no one needs to be intimidated I invite you just to hold out your hand in front of you. May the journey of forgiveness begin, Lord. May healing come from the woundedness. Some of us, Lord, are deliberately deciding to draw to an end sense of offendedness that we've had. We want to make every effort to maintain unity. Just take a few seconds to say to God what you'd like to say to God. do it by ourselves Lord we invite you Holy Spirit to do that which we cannot do change us transform us renew us And uh, I know it's a bit cheesy. Some of you love these moments. Some of you hate them But why don't you take the hand of the person next to you wipe your hands first? That'd be nice Nothing worse than sweaty fellowship. It's just awful And you can join hands across the aisle as well because those people won't bite <laughs> can, I, can I just say looking around um so lovely to see you doing this because some of you love these moments some of you are looking at me like you're looking at me right now like you'd like to kill me you said I hate this moment and some of you actually swinging your hands as well which sorry, we Christians know how to have fun don't we but keep your eyes open because fellowship is done with our eyes wide open so thank you Lord for the family see through you have taken them on an epic journey thank you for the sense of family and togetherness it's not perfect here Lord because we're here and we're human but keep us together can you agree keep us together and bless the person to our right to our left and grant them your grace we pray we say together in Jesus name amen and with great relief we let go of that sweaty sweaty head let's sing to the Lord